0: Want to become an AI trailblazer in the product world? Pragmatic Institute's newest workshop, AI for Product Professionals, is your ticket to generative AI mastery. In this hands-on training, learn to master ChatGPT and prompt engineering to transform your product strategies, rapidly create content, optimize workflows, and make razor-sharp product decisions fueled by data. Don't just keep up with the AI revolution, lead it. Seats are limited. Enroll today at pragmaticinstitute.com slash AI workshop.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Callagers from Pragmatic Institute and your host for this episode. And today I am very pleased to welcome back an oldie but goodie. Many of you have heard me interview Mark before, but we have Mark Stiving, who is the founder and chief pricing officer at Impact Pricing. He is my go-to guy when I have pricing questions. He has been a pragmatic instructor. He helped create the the price course for Pragmatic Institute. So he is, he is the guy to go to when you have questions about pricing. So
0: welcome, Mark. Well, thank you, Rebecca. This is going to be fun as always.
1: Yes. All right. So I actually want to start with a little bit of a different question. For those who've not heard some of the Mark Steining episodes before, and of course, you can go check this out, but I kind of want to hear your origin story, Mark. Talk to me about like how you got into pricing and sort of why is it such a passion area for you?
0: I remember being 12 years old and going to the grocery store with my mother and I would see prices that ended in nine, right? So 69 or 99. And I always wondered, why do companies do that? Do they think we're stupid? Right? I mean, we know 99 is really a dollar. What's the big deal? So maybe 20 years later, I was in a doctoral program at UC Berkeley. And I was playing with scanner panel data. This is the data that grocery stores collect when you use your loyalty cards. And I was able to test whether this nine cent thing really works or not. Turns out it does. Mm. And then I was able to figure out why using all these data analytic tools. And it turns out the reason it works is we are lazy subtractors. Mm right? So we don't subtract 83 and 65. We just subtract the eight and the six and call it 20 cent difference. And so I became addicted to understanding how people use prices to make decisions. And, and once you start to go down that path and you really understand that, then you start saying, well, how is it that companies make decisions
1: mm.
0: knowing how people make decisions? Mm. And that's really where I come from in this world of pricing.
1: I love that. And I think what's interesting, and, and I've known you now almost 10 years, and I've I've traveled several times with you, and I've seen you do this. And I also now find myself doing it like pricing is everywhere, right? I mean, once you start looking at it and thinking about it and wondering, like, why are the movie theater prices that way? And how about the hotel rooms? And that's and like, it's everywhere. So there are so many opportunities to see great examples of it, to see how people interact with it. And then even like sometimes to to think about how how it got you, right? Like what made that price okay? So it's it's just, a, it's a very rich area to explore. That is for sure.
0: And I have to say, every time I see pricing, I try to say, does that make sense to me or not? Mm. And if it doesn't make sense, then either I believe they're making a mistake or they know something right. I don't know. And now it's time for me to go figure something new out or, or to see why did they do that? And why does that work? And, and it just, it's, Always thinking about new things in price.
1: Yes. Yes. There is no one price fits all for this topic. Uh -uh -uh. All right. So today we're going to talk about price fences, pricing fences, right? A little bit about what they are, how they're used, why they can be important, right? How could people leverage them? So let's start with the basic question, Mark. What is a pricing fence?
0: So before you ask the question that way, I was about to say, well, well, fences are priced at around $10 a foot.
1: Well, it
0: depends if you but, want a chain link fence or... a <laughs> exactly. What kind of fence are we after here? But, but the real question is, what are pricing fences? We hear this term in the world of pricing a lot, pricing fences. And uh, and when I step, step back to think about it, because you told me you wanted to talk about this, I realized that I almost never talk about pricing fences. But I talk about the thing pricing fences does all the time. Hmm. So pricing fences are really the implementation methodology around how we do price segmentation. So we talk about price segmentation and imagine I take two different people and I say, I wanna charge you a dollar, I wanna charge you a dollar 50. Well, if I just put up a sign that says a dollar for some people, a dollar 50 for other people, and you walk in and you get to choose, you're gonna choose the dollar price every time. But what I really wanna do is find a way to make it so you can't choose, cause I know you're rich, right? You can't (laughs) choose the dollar price you have to choose the $1. fifty price. Mm. And, and so the price fence says, how do I keep one price from the people who would rather, I mean, everybody wants to pay less. Right, right. But how do I keep the lower price from people who are willing to pay more?
1: How do I keep you in an area and not maybe able, able to like peek over the fence at the other price, right?
0: Yes. And so if we go through... A, I'm going to teach a little bit of the pragmatic price course for just a second, right? Because we talk about price segmentation. And in that class, we talk about three different methods, really four different methods for price segmentation. Uh, So those happen to be uh, customer characteristics, transaction information, behaviors, and then products. So let's take each one of those briefly. Uh, Let's start with customer characteristics. So what are characteristics of customers? We often think to ourselves, well, senior citizens have a lower willingness to pay, so we want to charge them a lower price. Well, how do they keep me? Well, actually, I've now reached the point where I can get senior (laughs) citizen prizes. I was going
1: to make the joke, Mark. You stole it from me.
0: (laughs) How can they keep you from getting a senior citizen (laughs) prize? And and the answer is, will you show your driver's license? right you say look here's my here's my proof of age so then they say well how about veterans veterans tend to get lower prices or students students tend to get lower prices well do you have a student id do you have a veteran card that proves that you're an active a military person or or a veteran and so these are these are the fences that we use around the segmentation techniques that we create for customer characteristics
1: nice so Yes. So those seem pretty straightforward. When we talk about transaction characteristics, right? Parts of the transaction, how would we use fences in that situation?
0: Yes. So so when we think about transactions, we often don't see that in B2C. Well, let me me take a step back in the price fences for a second. Okay. In B2C, price fences are tricky because you as, I I don't have a salesperson talking to my customers, Mm. right? I don't Mm -hmm. have a salesperson negotiating with each individual customer. In the world of transaction information, I do, right? I, I'm sorry. In the world of B2B, I do have a salesperson, right. Who's often talking to a customer, and so the easiest fence in B2B world is, oh, our price is a dollar fifty to you, right? We don't say the words to you; we say right. our price yep. is a dollar fifty, right? And then to no, someone it's not else, transparent
1: pricing, so it's much easier to to have these a, fences. That makes a lot of sense.
0: Exactly right. And and the pushback I often get when I'm teaching price segmentation in classes, well, what if someone finds out? And of course, there's a big answer to that. It says, first off, very few people find out. And secondly, if someone finds out, you say, oops, I made a mistake. You can have the lower price. It's that easy, right? And there, Yeah, there I
1: think for a lot of companies where the the struggle with B2B comes in is, yes, it's easy for that sort of lack of transparency for the customer. But being able to have that freedom for your salesperson, but still internally have structure that you know what the sales, like rules for the sales team to use to figure out what's the right area for the customer that we don't publish outwards. And that I think is a, it takes a little bit planning internally and then some sophistication for the sales team, not to just default to the explanation here. Let me show you why we do it this way.
0: Yep, exactly right. And and you might have different price lists, you know, going back to customer characteristics. You might have different price lists for different customer characteristics. For example, I could have an Asian price list, a U.S. price mm-hmm. list, a Europe price list. I could have a price list for consumer goods, a price list for medical industries. And I could have different price lists for Government the same Government pricing
1: products. is very standard, right?
0: Government pricing, nonprofit pricing.
1: Yep. Yep. Well, and then even, I mean, I think I think you, you and I had talked about this a long time ago for when, a while when Amazon ba- showed prices based on your zip code, right? which is you know great and not they don't do that anymore but right like those are again those are fences and characteristics that are demographics from a b2c space is very clean but you're right there's b2b we often see it by industry we see a difference in you know consumer electronics versus medical versus all those pieces so lots of options there and I, i also think when you think about some of those when you think about what makes a good fence i might have a hard time with zip code but i under like Industry is a place that people are like, they're kind of used to that, right? Like they think there are fences and descriptions that consumers, both in B2C and B2B, are going to find more comfortable, more understandable.
0: Yes. In B2B, people rarely know how we create our fences or why they're getting the price mm-hmm. they're getting. They're just getting a price. And unless, of course, we've published our prices on the website and then we have to justify a difference in price or or actually we don't because we always Display the highest price on our website. Right. Yep. And anybody's willing to take a price lower than that.
1: Right. A, why aren't you charging me more? Those are words never, no, mm-mm, not right. say Never,
0: it. never, never, never. And so there is a slight difference between B2B and B2C in that issue of transparency and, and how mm-hmm. people see it and, and it gets displayed. So now back to the next question What are we going to do with transaction characteristics? Yes. Right. So in transaction characteristics, oftentimes we have volume discounts. Yep. Right. So that's a transaction characteristic. Sometimes we put surcharges on speedy delivery. And we'll mm. even see this in B2C, right? Do you want this delivered today? Great. We can do that with this price point. And maybe they say they're charging for delivery, but it doesn't matter where the where the bill comes from. It matters the customers want to pay more to have it today. Great. Right. Here's your price to have it today.
1: It's the imp- impatience tax, of which I am... <laughs> a big spender. I'm like, oh, I could get it faster. That's fantastic.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in in the world of transaction, any any other ones I can think of off the top of my head? I can't.
1: So volume, you have speed. I mean, I guess payment terms could be one, right? Like
0: It absolutely could. In the B2B world, there's a lot we can learn about transactions. So we can learn, are you looking at anybody besides us? Right. So is hmm. this a will I decision or which one decision? We could say, who's the competitor you're looking at? So if you're looking at our roughest, most aggressive competitor, maybe we give you a much better price. And if you're looking at someone who never discounts and they're not that great, eh, we're probably not giving you much of a discount. And so these are pieces of information we use to set our segmentation. But the fence itself is our salesperson saying, here's yeah. your price.
1: Which I think is one of the reasons that so many B2B things, they don't have publicly you know, published price lists. Uh, much to every consumer's <laughs> complaints.
0: Yes, yes. Okay, so you're going to ask the next one, which is possibly the hardest one. No, oh, maybe not. Mm-hmm. It's behaviors. hmm Behaviors. So behaviors is really hard because it doesn't really apply a lot in the B2B world. But in the B2C world, it's always a price fence whenever we do behaviors type segmentation. So here's a great one, a coupon is a price fence. So the reason that behaviors work so well is because it's a, we're essentially putting a hurdle up in someone's way to say, hey, you've got to jump this hurdle to prove to me that you're price sensitive before I give you a lower price. So I'm just giving you a task to do to prove price sensitivity. And a coupon is exactly that. So if I give you a coupon and you're willing to take the time to clip it out and store it and go to the right store and get the right item and get the coupon out at the cash register and you know, go through all that for your 10 cent discount, then, you know, go for it. It's up to you. But that is a fence because people who aren't price sensitive won't do that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's a very, again, it's the effort you put forward. And there are somewhat similar ones, I would think, in B2B. I don't know if you would consider these behavior offenses, but, you know, sometimes you get a lower price if you are a reference, if you agree to be a reference account or to do a case study, those kind of things. Or maybe if you're That might be a different one, but like, you know, if for something like a service, if you will take a, you will do the service in a downtime, right? Yes, you want a consulting, no, I'm too expensive for you, but hey, we're always really slow in the summer. If you'll do it then, then we could do something like
0: that. I think those fits in behaviors and possibly as fences. A lot of the things that we talk about often fit in more than one price segmentation Mm. area. Mm -hmm. And a lot of things when we start tweaking what we offer or deliver to the customer. I start putting those in the product category. Okay. But totally okay with saying, hey, you you know what I always tell my client or my customers, my students, is I don't really care if you label it right. I care Mm -hmm. if you think about it.
1: Yes. Because this is, I mean, one of the reasons we're talking about price fences is we talk a lot about segmentation and just how much additional revenue it can unlock by really understanding what the willingness to pay at a segment level and not an overall level. But in order to take advantage of that, you have to be able to actually like execute the plan, right? And then these are ways that you are executing the plan. To your point, I can't just randomly say, oh, well, everyone named Bob, you know, come over here. <laughs> but it does set up what I happen to know is your favorite fence, which lives under the product. Area, ooh, ooh.
0: and what do you think is my favorite fence?
1: If I was to say your favorite fence, I think it's good, better, best.
0: (laughs) I think that would be right. (laughs)
1: So,
0: so to be fair, the first three that we talked about, Mm -hmm. those are three price segmentation techniques that, if I've got a single product and I want to be able to charge different prices to different customers then those three techniques are exactly what I want to use. In fact, I don't have a choice. I'm going to use one or more of those three techniques. However, once we step back and say, hey, wait, I can tweak my product," And by tweaking my product, I can get people who are really price sensitive to still buy from me and people who aren't price sensitive to pay me a whole lot of money. Then I can start to create a product portfolio that makes a lot of sense. And now we think about good, better, best pricing where what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the super price sensitive people to still buy from us in the good category and the people who are not price sensitive to buy from us in the best category and yet most people are going to buy in the middle right most people will buy the better product and so how do we do this oh my gosh i i didn't really prepare to go into this conversation because this happens to be the hardest of all the fences to create hmm. because what you want to do is Right now, the decision we're trying to make is what features do I put in good? What features do I put in Mm. better? What features do I put in best? And so what we want is we want to create a good package that's good enough for the price sensitive people to still want to buy it and use it. And so I tend to think of if you can look at your product features and say, what is the MVP? What is the minimum viable product? Maybe you add a little bit more to that. Maybe you add a, a small sampling of some of your higher end features, but it is truly your MVP product. And that's going to be your good, as a, at least as a starting point. Mm-hmm. When you think about your best, we're going to put everything in best, especially if I can find people who just get so much value from my product. And there's a few features that they really like, and most other people don't care about it. Those features have to be in that category. Right. So they have to be in that best category. And then in the middle, we try to say, okay, what do most people need and use? And that's what we put in our better category. But this is just a really hard decision to make. And by the way, let me complicate the decision a little bit. Oh, excellent. Because we also have options. So we could take a feature out and say, it doesn't go in good, better, best. It's it's an option.
1: Oh, so it's an add-on you could do on top of any one of those. Or yes. potentially like a car. It's an add-on you could op- you could have in two of those three options, but it's not an add-on available in the first one.
0: Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. And when I think of an option, I want a product or I want a feature that between say twenty-five to fifty percent of people like it and it's expensive. Oh, and it goes across it's expensive the three
1: categories. For us, or it's highly valued to them. Highly valued to them.
0: Highly valued to them, expensive to the customer. And the reason for this is we don't, A, we don't want to nickel and dime our customer. And B, we don't want to manage SKUs for small amounts of money. Hmm. We want to manage big amounts of money. Yeah. So every time we add a new product feature, a new capability, a new uh, product option, we're complicating the pricing, we're complicating the sale, we're complicating a lot of things. So it had better be worth it.
1: Well, and let's talk about that. So it is; it does make it more complicated, right? And I know I we can come up with a bunch of versions of this. Some very B two C ones. Your cell phones are like this. The the car luxury, you know, your car brands and add ons, and certainly you see it in B two B as well, right? But how do you how do you know it's worth it, right? Like when I'm sitting here thinking, well, I'm going to really make everybody's life in my organization more complicated. The salespeople, the finance people, like. How do I start this process and show them like, yep, I know. But look, this is what it's going to give us.
0: Yeah. Fabulous question that I don't know the answer to. Okay. But I will give, but I'll give you an answer. (laughs) (laughs) If you sell everything a la carte, as in you're asking your customers to piece together what it is they need, Mm -hmm. then you're doing it very, very wrong and confused buyers don't buy. So you are costing yourself business figure out how to go do good, better, best packaging, right? So there you want to simplify it dramatically. Once you get your good, better, best, and you say, hey, am I going to have another option? Am I going to do another price segmentation technique? Am I going to add a market segment? There's all sorts of things we could do. My standard answer is go do one. Just go add one more. Mm -hmm. Most companies don't have enough and they'll find that when they add one more price segmentation technique, they're going to make more profit and they can figure out how to integrate it into their processes, how to add that little bit of extra complexity. And so then after you've done that one, go do one more. Pretty well, then soon you can you'll measure say, the
1: results of the first one, hurts. right? And you can show the yeah. lift and get additional buy-in for sure.
0: Yeah. But, but you can definitely go overboard. If you start adding too many too fast, you'll make things so complicated that you're in the cost of the internal workings is way higher mm-hmm. than the additional profit you'll make.
1: And I do think that that is often where it falls down. People get very excited. They come to our price course. We talk a lot about good, better, best and and options. And and I think they get excited and then it's like, oh, but the complexity isn't going to be there. So to your point, if you just start with one of the segmentation pieces and you start to see the changes and the results it has, you don't have to bite it all off at once. Are there other things when we talk about multiple fences, right, like, you know, if we're doing more than one of these types of fences and segmentation, Are there other things we need to consider when we start to go beyond just one fence to sort of parallel fencing?
0: So let me give you a hierarchy of fences. How's that? I just invented that word.
1: I like the hierarchy of
0: fences. (laughs) One fence we haven't talked about today is market segmentation. And so one of the things we want to do is we, if we have market segments that have a much higher willingness to pay, we say, hey, I'm going to focus this business on that market segment. And then I've got another chunk of business I'll focus on either everybody else or a different market segment. And so now what we want to do is we want to fence off the market segment. So how do we do that? Well, typically we start by creating a package name called product for this market segment,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: right? And so anybody in that market segment looks at that market segment. So there's almost self-selecting into that category. But a lot like we had the, the conversation about the best products, We want to find the features that that market segment really cares about and bundle those into the product for that market segment, thinking that other market segments don't care as much about them. And so we don't talk about them. We don't put them in. We may not even have them in those other categories or other products. So your first hierarchy of fences is to understand what your market segments are and how you're going to guide people into the right market segment when they're making a decision.
1: And as the marketing person on the call, I will tell you too that with those things, there's a lot to do that effectively. You really need to understand the persona of each of those segments and what they care about so that whether or not you take out the features or not, you talk about the right ones for that group. And that's true both on the marketing material, but there's also, I think, as part of the implementation of something like that, getting your sales team to understand, A, be able to recognize what segment they have on the phone with them, and B, then to know to flip the script or the priority of what they communicate with based on who's on the phone. And I think, again, that's why these are really powerful. These will help you optimize your revenue, but these are techniques that go beyond just changing the price list for a segment and really has to be thoughted through in how you roll out the the whole program.
0: Yep, absolutely right. Absolutely right. After you've decided on the market segment, then I would create my product portfolio for the market segment. So let's assume that you are really, really smart and decide to go with good, better, best, plus options. So you'll have good, better, best, plus options in each of the market segments that you've identified. So step one is we, we try to get somebody focused into what market segments do they want. Then we've got to get them focused into what's the right product for them. And so that's the, the level of fences that we're going to use next. And then the last set of fences is, okay, I've decided I like your better product in this category. It's the right product for me. Now I might choose one of the first three uh, fences or price segmentation techniques we talked about. And that is customer characteristics, transaction information, and behaviors. Right? So, So do you as a customer deserve or need a lower price than I would normally charge? And so now we're using one of those fences.
1: Excellent. You can see the flow chart there gets, gets more and more complicated. But the better we can do this, again, we see big results. So let's talk about that. Tell me some of your favorite stories of uses of fences where you think maybe they've gone really well. And maybe some that have you been like, oh, that fence did not do anything, but keep out the customers.
0: <laughs> oh, can I think of good? I, I tend not to think of fences. As I said earlier on, oh, we go, I, I tend to think of price segmentation. I have one client who identified the decisions that their buyers were making. And so, because they were selling a will I product, so there was no competition after they'd already bought into their platform, they ended up raising the prices 180%. Oh, dang. And didn't lose any sales. Hmm. It, so, was think- that really a? Was that really a fence? What it really was, was it was understanding which segment cares about which products, Hmm. right? How is it that our customers are making decisions?
1: I mean, is there really anything different other than nomenclature in the idea of price fences versus segmentation? Or is it just, you know?
0: If I were to define the two, I, I think they would be defined a little bit differently, but they're essentially the same thing. Okay where I would think a price segment is, here's a group of people that I'm gonna pitch to, sell to, price to, market to, because they're relatively similar, or as Pragmatic would say, they're solving a common set of problems, right? And so I would consider that a segment. And a price fence is how do I keep you, Mr. Higher willingness to pay person in the segment, from going into a different segment and buying at a lower willingness to pay.
1: So how do I help you identify and feel that this is the right segment for you? Or how do I keep you knowing about, there are no other segments, right? Like those are, it's, it is, okay. Nope, that's helpful. Yeah.
0: So let me, uh, I, actually i talk about fences in a, in a negative way for a second. Not, not negative, but in a, in a challenging way. Back long, long, long before I joined Pragmatic, I was in the semiconductor industry. We would sell product to companies, so we're going to sell a product to HP, let's say, right, and we would also sell it to a contract manufacturer. So this is someone who makes iPhones, right? So someone who makes products for HP, and the contract manufacturers always got really, really low prices because a they're Asian and b they negotiate really hard, and they needed a margin below or beyond what the margin we were going to give to HP. So. The problem, the real big challenge we always fought was how do we keep the contract manufacturer buying at this price and HP buying at this price at a Mm -hmm. different price? Mm -hmm. Or let me take it a step further and say, look, the contract manufacturer was able to buy at this really low price. How do I keep them from buying an extra 100,000 parts and selling them on the gray market for, for whatever price they, you know, whatever margin they're willing to take when we're trying to sell at a much higher price than that? Right. And so, so these are fences that are breaking down that we're always trying to fight to figure out, OK, who's paying? How much are they paying? Why are they paying that amount? And so it's always coming back to what's the decision our buyers are making?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and yes, I mean, you, you don't want HP to know that you're selling the same exact product for a fifth of the price over here. Again, unless you're going to say, oh, but look at the volume that is different there. Look at the rate. Right. You need it is certainly helpful to have an explanation that makes them feel, oh, okay, I can see where that might not just be because you can charge me more. Right. <laughs> I mean, it is, but yeah, <laughs> it is not is it. Yes. Yes. No, that's exactly right. Awesome. All right. So we talked about lots of different things, Mark, about fences and segmentation. And if you were going to have our listeners do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would it be? Two? Two.
0: Okay, here's the first one I would do is I would not worry about fences yet and I would think about segmentation first. Okay, And so the way you think about segmentation is look at a whole bunch of different customers and ask yourself, how much would each customer be willing to pay? Not how much do they want to pay, but how much do we think we could get out of them if we could charge them the most we could get them to pay? And so then once you've identified the set of customers who would pay us a lot, and the set of customers who are super price sensitive and wouldn't pay us very much. Now we wanna try to figure out what's different between those customers. And as we start to think through what's different, we say, okay, so those might be different segments. Those might be different price segments. Now we could say, number two, how do I determine what fences I might use so that I could charge the people at the higher end, a higher price? And they wouldn't go down to the lower prices that we're charging to other people. And that could be any of the fences that we've talked about.
1: Awesome. All right. Lots of good stuff here, Mark. As always, appreciate your time. You are
0: always welcome and it's it's fun.
1: Excellent. And if people want to hear more from Mark or read more about Mark's thinking, I would encourage them to check out impactpricing.com. That does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.